Welcome to the Homefront Podcast. I'm your host, Tori McQueen. I'm a realtor, an entrepreneur, a mom to five, and a bold dreamer, always on a mission to turn nothing into something. Have you ever wondered how all these other entrepreneurs do it all? Can they actually have a successful and thriving business while also having a happy home life? Here, we dig into the real stories on how to run a biz and a home life, how to scale and grow, and how to manage parenting and relationships without sacrificing your home life or happiness. After all, isn't that what matters most? Let's get to it. Hey, Ellen. So glad to have you here. Hi, Tori. I'm so excited to be here, and I'm so thrilled that you live so close to me. You just shared that in the green room before we hit record. <laughs> it's so awesome. We'll definitely have to get together because you know how sometimes entrepreneurship can feel a little bit lonely. And sometimes if you're an extrovert, the online space doesn't do it justice. Like I need to physically be in a room with high energy people. And by high energy, I don't always mean crazy extroverts. I just mean, you know what I mean, that energy. Yep. So people who are on the same wavelength as you, people who are working towards the same thing, I totally get it. it. There's just something about in person connection that really can't be replicated in any other way. Right, right. Okay, so so excited to have you here because I have so many questions for you. But let's start out. You do Cubicle the CEO. Let's kind of jump into your story and how you got to where you're at today. Sure. So, yes, you're you're right. I am the founder of Cubicle the CEO. We are a business to business, women focused media company. I will, before I even get further into it, most people's first question is, what the heck is a media company? In essence, a media company is just a business where content is the actual product instead of content leading to the sale of another service or product. So instead of treating it as a marketing channel, our content channels, our podcasts, and our newsletter primarily are how we serve our community of more than 100,000 business women. And we really use our platform to elevate the voices of women-led, self-funded businesses making between 100000 and under $100 million a year in revenue. So we're really trying to hit wow. that sweet spot. I know it's so cool to hear the stories of all these incredible entrepreneurs because those stories are really not told in mainstream business media. So we're really trying to shine a light on, on the work that these people are doing. and you know, beyond the the free content that we create through our podcast, Cubicle to CEO, and our newsletter of the same name, we also create educational products and courses and live events for women. And if you happen to be local to Oregon, like Tori and I are, then I also have a boutique women's co-working space in Salem, Oregon. So that's kind of the gist, the gist of of what I do. As far as the journey, I don't know how far back you want me to go. So I'll let you, I'll let you guide that. Uh, okay. So let's go back to obviously Cubicle the CEO. That's kind of a journey in itself, it sounds yeah. like. Mm-hmm. So you were in a cubicle at one point. And it was, yes. what got you into entrepreneurship originally? So, yeah. So I have only ever worked one cubicle job. It was shortly after graduation. It was not my first full-time job after graduation. I worked at a startup in between as their marketing and PR uh, lead, essentially, and then ended up getting laid off from that job. They did a whole restructure of their business, and I got hired as a marketing coordinator for a healthcare company. 
And it was one of those situations where on day one, I just knew it wasn't the right place for me. And I've always kind of been that person where I, in, in my day-to-day life, in, in the minutia of things like deciding what to eat for dinner, I'm very indecisive. But when it comes to making big life changes, like big action steps, I go all in. I kind of do it sometimes without having the whole, you know, the whole path planned out. And so that's essentially what I did when I quit my cubicle job. It was 2017 and like a few days before the end of 2017, I was 23 years old. I had no intention of becoming an entrepreneur. That was really never on my vision board of what my life would look like. But what ended up happening is I landed my first freelance marketing client about a month after I quit my job. And it was actually a colleague of mine from the the company that I had recently left. And I think that project, it was like an Instagram uh, account that I was managing. It was, you know, a small, a small budget. They paid me like $300 a month, but really opened my, my world to all these new possibilities, ways that I can monetize my existing knowledge and skills to make money outside of a traditional job structure. And I think that's what really kickstarted my, my path in entrepreneurship. And in fact, from that day of getting that first client, I completely stopped applying for marketing jobs. And I just decided to go out and and go acquire more clients. And that's how I started my business. It's not the business model I have today, but it's it's how I, you know, began this whole thing more than five years ago now. Oh, that's so cool. Because, you know, I think it does take that first client to be like, wow, wait, Mm -hmm. this is actually real. I could do this on my own. Yeah. And I put my skills to use and help people in the way that I want to help them. A hundred percent. Yeah, it's so affirming. And it just, I think that's the beautiful thing about, and it's why I'm so passionate, Tori, and I'm sure you too with the podcast about storytelling and about having conversations like this is it's that exposure, right? I can't remember who originally said this, but there's that quote, if you can see her, you can be her. And I really believe that's true. Like if you're not modeled some some form of entrepreneurship in your life, it's very difficult sometimes to even see that as a possibility for yourself. But the moment you either see someone you know doing something like that, or you get exposed to this opportunity to monetize outside of a traditional job, really just opens your mind to all the possibilities. Yeah. And you nailed that on the head. I I think, you know, everyone always says like the proximity of who you're around. And I really think it has an effect on the mindset you have too, because It's not that, you know, people may not even know that they want that path until they meet someone or come across people that are doing that and they realize, wait, oh, that's how you do that. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's not, it's kind of this like behind the curtain thing, but really it's, it's just stepping into a different role. Okay. So this season on my podcast, we do talk, we are talking about pivots and for you, I've watched you. A friend had showed me your page. And so I had been watching you and I was like, okay. And then when I saw your pivot, I was like, ooh, this is cool. Because it's another thing that's kind of behind the curtain that people don't see, nor do people talk about it openly. It's this weird thing where people sometimes jump into entrepreneurship. Everybody's watching. And I don't know what it is, but sometimes people think, oh, if I pivot, that means I have another opportunity for failure. And it means you know, people are watching me be done committing to the what I built and onto this new thing. And it's this whole new 
thing when it comes to pivoting. And I think in entrepreneurship, especially with women and with different phases of your life, I saw that you're recently engaged. So congratulations. Thank you so uh, much. So it's with, with, as your life changes, sometimes the seasons that you go through call for a pivot mm -hmm. and you feel it in your gut and you know it, but sometimes there's some withholding there. So anyways, I want to chat about you and your recent pivot and how that came about because you have your, you have your stuff that you're doing and then you decided to pivot. So I would love to hear that. Just to make sure before I dive in, are you referring to our recent pivot to being a media business in the summer? Is that the one that is coming to mind for you? Well, I've seen several pivots. So yes, we have seen several would, pivots. <laughs> which is, I just want you to speak in general, like your pivots and then why you're choosing to pivot. And then, yeah, yeah your most recent pivot would be great. Absolutely. Well, first, I just want to address this point of as women, we tend to tell ourselves a story that if you pivot to your point, it feels like a failure or it feels like you're quitting on something. And I think a lot of that is ingrained in us as as children, right? By our parents, by society, like quitters that what's that saying? I hate it. Like quitters are losers. Like you you're fed that narrative of if you quit, it's always a bad thing. That's not always true, right? Sometimes oh quitting is discernment. Sometimes quitting is wisdom. And I think what's especially hard for women and something that I really struggled with is it's, I mean, for myself, if I'm really bad at something, like if, if I truly am not that great at something, is quitting still hard? Is there still some sort of shame that might be attached to it that you have to work through? Sure. But it's so much harder. And this is the, the part of the conversation very few people talk about. I personally think it's actually so much harder to quit something that you are successful at, that you are good yes. at, right? Because understandably, if you quit something that you're not so good at, people tend to either agree with you or understand you. But if you quit something that on, on paper, on the surface, looks like everything is good, it's a lot harder for people to wrap their minds around why you would do something like that. And so for us, you know, as far as my own business journey, we've really gone through two, two large pivots. The first happened uh, end of 2019. So this was around the two-year mark in my, in my business journey. At the time, I had been mostly operating as a, uh, a boutique social media marketing agency, which essentially just means that different businesses and brands would hire us to manage their social media accounts, to create content for them, engage with their community for them. And we were very successful in doing that. You know, we had dozens of clients in our portfolio, every uh, range from the small mom and pop shop that I started with all the way up to we had Fortune 500 clients. And so we were quite successful in that. But ultimately, I kind of came to this point where we had hit our max capacity with clients and we were very small as a team. It was just me and one other full-time employee and then some freelancers that would help us out. And I kind of had this realization that if we wanted to grow our current business model, the only way we could really do that is by hiring more staff and building out a larger agency, which when I really sat down and thought about it, I was like, that is not the vision that I have for my business. Like, I don't want to be this big agency working with hundreds of client accounts. And so I, I, I love mean, that you say that. I love that you acknowledge like, wait, let me fast forward what this looks like if I were to go this route. And then you backtracked and said, yeah, 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 no, 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 no. 
Yeah. It, and it, and it's hard sometimes to do that because I do think there's also the opposite side of the coin where you can play in too much and think, you know, make assumptions based on future things that haven't actually happened that are limited by your own awareness of what's in the present. However, I, I knew for certain like this was not ultimately the business I wanted to create. So I made kind of a drastic pivot. And at the time I had started dipping my feet in the education space. I had just launched my podcast about six months prior. It was summer of 2019. And I had launched my first coaching program prior to that. And I was really starting to feel some traction grow with with that. And I was like, you know what? If I basically let go of all of my clients, I am cutting my safety cord completely, right? Because I would have no revenue coming in. And it allows me the full time and energy and resources to dedicate to scaling our education arm, right? Our products, our courses, our coaching. And it essentially leaves me with no excuses. I can't fall back on client work and be like, oh, well, I'm just too, I'm too wrapped up, too busy with my clients. I just don't have time for this. So basically cut out any excuses that I could create for myself. And uh, within 90 days of doing that pivot, we had actually scaled our signature program up to a monthly recurring revenue rate of a six-figure product. So we very quickly were able to replace a lot of the income that we had lost because we went all in with our focus and our vision there. So from that point, you know, we grew our education business immensely over the last three years. Uh, we've served more than 10,000 students in our programs. We've sold more than a million dollars in courses and products. And, you know, that part was going really well for us as well. But again, I kind of came to that point around spring, summer of this past year in 2020, 2020, 2022, <laughs> sorry. And I, I think I was getting to that point where a lot of people were kind of recognizing me in our space for being a coach. Like, you know, and I felt this like, this like boxed in identity of, oh, like I'm coach Ellen or like I, I am this identity. And it wasn't, really me. Like I I was like, I love mentorship. I love education. Those those pieces will never change. I will always be involved in some form in helping educate other women entrepreneurs. But I didn't want that to be my sole identity and my legacy in business. And so really I knew that what I felt most passionate about was the storytelling aspect through our podcast and, and being yeah. able to create this content, right? So I once again decided to make a big pivot and I was like, okay, we're going to retire our signature program that has basically been our largest revenue generator for the last three years. And we closed that program down in August. So no one new has joined since August. And we went all in once again on, okay, we're going to restructure our business, start fresh with building new systems and processes and offers for a media business model, which is totally different. And that's what we've been doing ever since. So, yeah, that's kind of the journey. So oh my gosh, so much to unpack there. Okay, and I'm smiling so big because just everything that you're saying is so good to hear. Because yes, and you're saying it so eloquently. Like, okay, yeah, I decided this wasn't for me, so I packed that bag up and I a hundred percent focused for the next 90 days on this. And that's, that is truly how to pivot. Like you have to focus. And I think 
I mean, I've personally struggled with that. You know, I own a, I have a real estate team, but I also help coaches. And so it is kind of hard when you're trying to have one leg in one space and one leg in the next. It's like, wait, this is really difficult to do. So for you to be able to say, nope, we're taking, we're getting all the way out of this pool and we're jumping into this next pool. Mm-hmm. Well, I love that. Okay. So my first thing is like, when you went through that, mm-hmm. how, how was that for you emotionally or like even mentally with your team also? How did yeah. that even look like? And then what did you do with your past clients? Like, how did that yeah. look? So, I mean, business at the end of the day is all about relationships, right? So even when we stopped our contracts with our clients, when we made that first pivot, it wasn't like it was abrupt. I mean, it was abrupt. In a sense that, yeah, yeah, but we, we, you know, it's all about how you approach that conversation. And of course, we made sure that any of our clients were taken care of, that we could refer them to someone that we trusted to continue with them. And that, you know, ultimately it's about how you treat that relationship and understanding that even as you pivot in business and you maybe adopt different hats or or walk different paths, the people on your journey, um, you you really have to prioritize that because it's not like you just cut out people, right? It's not about the people that are changing. It's just your direction that's changing, but the people coming with you on the adventure oftentimes can be with you for many legs of the journey. And so I think we've luckily done a good job of doing that. And I think a lot of it comes down to the transparency through which we've shared so much of our business. Uh, You know, for four years, I've publicly shared my income reports on the podcast. Um, Which we will touch on that because I love that you do that also. Thank you. Yeah, I really believe pay transparency is important. And I, you know, uh, just from building in public, I think because so much of our journey is shared with our people, there creates that level of trust and that level of almost like buy-in or advocacy from those around us wanting us to see us succeed because they they feel like they have a hand or a part in what we're creating, which they absolutely do. And I mean, so many of our most loyal customers or people who have been with us on all of these different uh, versions of the business, so to speak. But in terms of team, to address your question there, luckily, I mean, my team has always been so supportive. In fact, with the media pivot in specific, they were actually the ones who encouraged me the most to do it now versus later. Because we had talked about it, like they were in the loop about what my bigger bigger picture vision was. And I'd always talked about, you know, maybe we'll give it another two years before we, you know, we'll just like slowly move our way towards this. And they were the ones who actually said, if you already know exactly what the vision is, why are we waiting? Like what what's waiting? Um, what is there to wait for? Like let's just jump, you know? And so I feel so lucky to have the support and uh, belief of people like that. So the team, the team has always been, yeah, incredible. But as far as my own emotions, I think, I mean, inevitably with any form of change, like I think people are creatures of habit. I'm no different. It's always hard when there's change. I think I'm very fueled by the excitement, again, of like the future and what's possible. But it doesn't mean that there aren't days that, you know, you feel fear or you are worried, like, did I make the right choice? Because you have to go through, you know, dips in revenue. I talked about this actually in one of my income reports. 2022 was the first year in our five years of business that we have not 
grown in revenue. And revenue, of course, is gross revenue is only top line. It's not even the most important factor in terms of the success of a business. But it was still, you know, a break in our path. And so it was noticeable. And it was something that, you know, I had to kind of grapple with. And it's a it's a direct reflection of the choices that I made. And do I think it'll pay off in the next, you know, couple of years? Like, yeah, but in the meantime, you still have to be able to deal with the things that aren't all sunshine and rainbows. Yes. And I think a lot of people forget that too, that when you pivot or even success in general, it is not linear. And people say that all the time. It's not linear. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What does that mean? Well, it means that sometimes when you need to grow, you have to take a pay cut to hire somebody to get to that next level. Right. And the same goes for when you pivot or like you said, our revenue didn't really adjust. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But so much is going on with growth within you and your team during that time Mm -hmm. that the revenue, you can't pay for that, Mm -hmm. you know, and and it's not always about that revenue. I mean, at the end of the day in business, right, profit is what you're looking at. But to grow and change and to stay aligned, I mean, you are going to take steps back and people don't see that. So it's really nice that you're sharing the transparency financially. Mm-hmm. to people because they can see that that's a normal thing. Yeah, 100%. And and exactly what you said, Tori, sometimes you have to write a check to your future self and invest in your future self, right? And say, look, my present self is going to feel the pain of, you know, whatever this this investment might look like, but my future self is going to thank me for it. So it really, it's not even necessarily taking steps back, but it's a a springboard. You know, it's that analogy of like the arrow or the bow being drawn back so that it can propel the arrow forward. And I really think that when you look at the most successful businesses in in our human history, you think about legendary businesses that are around for generations that are household names. None of those business have meteoric growth in the way that so many online businesses tend to tout that like year over year, 500% growth, 200% growth. In most, you know, right? In most legend businesses, like legendary businesses, I was talking to my friend actually in Nashville the other week when I was there. We had coffee and and she used to work as uh, like a marketing director or a creative director for Yamaha, the piano brand. Yeah. And and she was saying, like, in a business like that that's been around hundreds of years, nobody on their team is looking at their year-over-year growth and thinking, we have to jump 100%. They're looking at how do we either maintain what we have or make, like, a 1%, you know, uptick. Exactly. It's so much more realistic in how they look at it. And when they make investments, they don't think, how do I make this back in 30 days? They're looking at, okay, if we make this big investment, how are we going to recoup this? How is this going to play out in our in our business's trajectory for the next 10 years? And they're really thinking more big picture, legacy type of mindset rather than instantaneous gratification. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, uh, I love that you made that point because I didn't think about it that way, you know, but that is so true. And with social media, it's like, I think it's this game of like, you have to stay relevant. So being relevant, you have to be exciting and you have to have, you know, achievement, achievement, achievement to be Mm -hmm. able to get that relevant. 
And I think you're right. Those brands that stick around, they're steady. They are on their path. They know their lane. And they just make their progress and continue to, you know, serve their people in the best way. And there'll be downs, but not by much. And there'll be ups, but not, they don't expect to, to go not even like 20%. It's like, it is crazy. And I gl- I'm glad you said that because I didn't think about it that way. But that's so true. I'm really glad that resonated. Yeah, it, it was something that I honestly, I can't take credit for. I wish I could remember what podcast I was listening to, but this concept of legacy mindset really, really stuck with me as well because it, you're, you're right, it's so easy to fall into that trap of comparison or of wanting to say hyper-relevant. But I do think there is that level of just consistency. And I don't mean consistency in the sense of when people say, oh, you need to like consistently post to social media five times a week. I've never really been a right. believer of that. I just mean consistency in staying true to your vision and what you want to create and understanding that not every single moment is going to be the top of the mountain, but understanding also that there's so much growth and beauty and the process of it and that taking people along with you for that journey can be just as gratifying as showing, you know, the top of the mountain moments. Yes. Are you an entrepreneur looking to start your own business? Then you'll need to form an LLC or a limited liability company. But where do you start? With Zen Business, the process is simple and affordable. Zen Business offers a variety of LLC formation packages to fit your needs, and their team of experts will guide you through the process every step of the way. Plus, they offer ongoing compliance and registered agent services to keep your business in good standing. Don't waste your time and money on complicated LLC formation. Choose Zen Business and take the first step towards realizing your business dreams. Visit my link in the show notes to get started today. And so when you went to Pivot again this last summer and you knew, I've got two questions. One, why were you saying in two years? Like, I'm curious what that hesitation was that your team was like, hello, like, why aren't we going? Like, why aren't we jumping? What in your brain wanted you to wait? And then also, why did you want to pivot? So to answer your first question, I think I'd be lying if I said that part of it wasn't fear-driven, right? And it kind of goes back to that idea of if you're doing something well and it's going well, it can feel really scary to end that thing. And for us, that was our signature program. Like it was doing very well with super low lift for, you know, we had gotten it so dialed in at that point that it was super low lift for me. And so the thought of having to create and start from scratch in many ways and and be, you know, the brand new kid on the block again, trying to learn this whole new industry and business model was very scary. But I think the more logical side of me was thinking more along the lines of, with the media business, because the main product you're creating is free content, um, that's not true of all media businesses. If you think like Disney is a media company, so is the New York Times. They they put some of their best content, obviously, behind paywalls like Disney Plus or a New York Times subscription. We have this mission that we don't ever want to gatekeep our best podcast content or our best website articles or newsletters behind paywalls. We want to keep that content free to our audience. And we monetize through brand partners and sponsors paying for ad placements on those content channels. So they're the ones really funding the work to allow us to provide this content 
to our audience for free. But being in the content business, it requires a lot of a lot of output, right? A lot of uh, talent. You typically you need to hire writers and videographers and editors, and there's a whole content uh, machine behind the content that gets created. And so, just knowing how costly it would be and how the revenue wouldn't be as instantaneous as like selling a course, right? When you sell a course, it's like the person buys a course, you get the money immediately. With content, it's like you could be creating a ton of amazing content for months and months and not see any paycheck from that until, you know, you've built, uh, you've gotten in front of the right brand who's like, yes, we see the value in what you're creating. We want to pay you to, you know, sponsor whatever it may be. So it's definitely more of a gamble. And so I thought, you know, if I gave myself a runway of two years, I could take what's already working, my profitable education business, continue to scale it, essentially use that cash flow and and save up and fund the media business in a way that gives us a little bit more breathing room financially. So that was kind of my mindset around it. But honestly, I'm happy with what we ended up choosing to do. And ultimately, the pivot was really centered in I've always been passionate about interviewing people, creating really great content. Like before entrepreneurship, even before college, my my original career that I had envisioned for myself was I I wanted to study broadcast journalism and I wanted to either yeah. anchor like a morning show or host a daytime television talk show. And so that's not the path that my life went, but I'm like in a way I'm kind of recreating that with our own shows, our own podcasts, our own media channels. And so that's kind of the the driving force behind the the pivot. Well, I love, I love, love, love that you are staying true to your vision and really aligning it with your own core like values and where you see yourself. I think that that's important because I think you're you are jumping before I don't want to say jumping before burnout but mm-hmm. you're recognizing what each path has led you towards and for this bigger purpose that you have and that you've always felt you've had but you're not sure where you're getting there yeah I was talking to someone else on one of my interviews where you kind of just have to believe that you're like you're walking in the fog and you just have to believe that like oh the sidewalk doesn't end we're just gonna it just we may not see exactly clearly how we'll get there yep. until it's right in front of you. And yes. then when it's in front of you, that's when you choose, okay, I'm going to go right or left now. And then when I go right, we don't even know what's on that side all the way. I right? love that I mean, visual analogy. Yes. Right? But you just yeah. have to like trust it in your gut that you're heading in the direction you should be and that that next big step is there and then the rest will be figure outable, you know? Yes, 100%. That's actually what a friend of mine had said to me right before I quit my corporate job. She, I mean, my my now fiance, soon to be husband, uh, Dustin, was my biggest supporter and cheerleader early on in quitting my job to, I mean, we had no, I had no plan, no vision for what I wanted to do instead, but he didn't care. He was like, if you know this isn't the place for you, like you're wasting your time. Just get out of here, right? And like, mm-hmm. we'll figure it out. So he was a huge supporter in that. But another friend of mine who I worked with at the company, she had told me, she was like, jump. And then like when you jump, then the net will appear. It's not you see the net and then you jump. 
it's like that belief, that raw belief, like you said, that the sidewalk doesn't end, that as you walk through this journey, it will become more clear to you, but you can't get the clarity by standing you know, at the bottom of the mountain and looking up and saying, and trying to figure out what that path is going to look like because you're looking at things from your point of view that has not yet experienced what you need to, to have the clarity. And so it's like such a limited scope. Whereas when you start to walk and you start to actually experience the road and like notice the dips and the potholes and whatever, that's when you actually find that clarity. Yeah. And you can adjust along the way. So like if you can picture back when you were in a cubicle or whatever, and you're just starting your hike up the mountain, your cubicle, the CEO is still at the bottom of your entire legacy mountain, right? Yeah, 100%. You're looking and, and you know how when you're on a mountain too, like you can't really see the top. You're just no, like there. And then all of a sudden you turn around and you look and you're like, whoa, yep. like I'm waiting up here. I still feel like I'm I mean, I've been on incline for a while, but I can't see the top. You know, you've just been going and it is like that. So you you look back and you're able to adjust like, okay, I should have wore, you know, thicker socks or yep. I yep. should have like brought a cane or I should have. But it, in hindsight, yep. you don't know those things until you do take a step. And it's also okay to take a step in a direction and then say, actually, that didn't work. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to turn right back around and go the other way because it doesn't, it's not working how I want or, or try a different strategy. So I think that it's awesome that you're transparent about that and open about pivoting. Like, okay, now we're on our next thing. And it's this positive thing. Oh, it's so good. The other question I have for you. So I talk to a lot of mompreneurs. And I hate using mompreneurs because it's got this different connotation. But a lot of mothers who are in business, and now we're kind of living in a time more than ever, and I'm sure you're seeing this, that women are really taking control over this internet thing. And it's like, we have that brain where we can, how do I say this? It aligns with a lot of our strengths right? The the ability to create this online business and this online space. So what I'm seeing is, I mean, I'm a mom to five. So my life is kind of crazy and insane. But my whole thing is like, everyone's like, how do you do it all? And I'm, first of all, I don't. You don't. You know, yeah. I, I'm a team. I have supporters. I have a my husband, very supportive. But it's also like, well, you just do. You know, you create and you build. And this thing I get is like, well, you know, as you're, I've been watching entrepreneurs mm-hmm. start without children mm-hmm. and they do this thing and then they have children mm-hmm. and they go through this whole new thing. So I'm trying to think of what I was getting at here, but I wanted to say, do you see that where people either feel like motherhood blocks people? And then for you, you don't have any children yet. I don't. But is that on your radar at all? Or are you kind of one of those that have said, you know, not for me, which is totally fine. But I'm just curious about that as that you're as this successful woman and there's this negative connotation about being a mom and losing everything you've built because the business is a baby. Like, what's your thought on that? I know yeah. that's a lot there, but no, I'm just I, I love these questions. I'll answer the second one first because it's a little easier to answer. I I'm very open. Me me and Dustin are very open to, you know, parenthood. It's not something that's on our radar for the near future. It's not something I think we're 
ready or feeling like it's the right season of our life for that. But for certain, it is not a closed door. Would I also be okay if I never had any children? To be honest, I don't know. I mean, like, I haven't really been, what is it, uh, confronted with that choice or that reality at this moment in time. And uh, so hopefully, hopefully the doors remain open for, for, you know, when the right time comes. But as far as the other question about moms and is motherhood a block, I do see it being a mental obstacle for a lot of women. However, I think it's because, again, so much of what we believe is what we see around us and what, what we're told as a narrative, right? And we've always been told, like, if you are a mom, it means you have to sacrifice who you are. It means you have to cut back on your ambition. It means it's always, as women, we're always presented with this or, this reality, yeah. either or. And in reality, most of life is and, right? Most of life is duality. It's a lot of you can be this and this. You can be successful as a mother and be successful as a business owner. How that looks might be different to each person, but ultimately, I've been actually very inspired by my a good business friend of mine. Her name is Haley. Very successful. You know, she now is an investor in six businesses. Her her own business that she scaled from the ground up, you know, has made over $6 million. She's a commercial property owner. Like there's so many things that she's done really well. And when she had her baby, well, she had a very traumatic pregnancy to begin with, just a lot of health conditions and health issues. But, you know, she always had this fear of losing herself completely as a mom because that was what she was modeled growing up. That was what she saw her mom go through. Her mom had complete no sense of identity outside of children. And and that's what society had told her. But it's been so empowering to watch her as a mom because it's not the path or the story she's chosen to live for herself. And for her, she's thriving more than ever now as a mom. And she said herself, being a mom has made her a better business owner. And she isn't someone that dedicates her entire life to caring for her son. And I think that's what's so beautiful to watch is she really models what it's like to have support and to be an amazing mom, but not have to be at your child's side every second of the day. And for you to make all your decisions revolve around your children, she doesn't live her life like that. And it's funny because in many ways, she's actually the first woman I've ever met where when I ask her, how's motherhood going? You know, because she's a toddler. It's like, I don't know, he's like one and a half, two. Now she's like, it's it's actually the easiest thing ever. Like I've never heard a woman say that. No one has ever told me you being a mom is like so easy. And it was just such it was almost like a shocking answer because nobody like nobody chooses to to adopt almost that ease because we've been told you have to suffer, you have to suffer. So it's like you it's almost like you your brain tells yourself if I'm not suffering, I'm not doing it right, but for her to break through that barrier and be like, actually, it's like the easiest thing ever and I love it. I'm like, oh my God, how refreshing is that to hear? What if more moms could have the right yes. to feel that way, you know? Yes. And that's really why, you know, I like talking specifically about that sometimes to mothers because your friend, I'm like, it, it's easy. Like, this is yeah. awesome. But I, you know what I realized? It's a mindset. But I think it does scare some women into thinking like, oh, gosh, everyone thinks it's so hard. Like, oh, no, that means I have to 
you know, the scarcity thing because they don't know, but I'm trying to spread that word. Like, no, like you can build it how you want. Like, why, why are we, why are we doing this? Right. But, but again, it goes back to, you know, you said that's the first mom that you've really been around that you've heard that. And it does back to like proximity Mm -hmm. and like speaking about it and being around these other people that are living the lifestyle that you envision for yourself or that you align with so that Mm -hmm. you can see life that way, right? If you're hanging out with a bunch of moms who thinks momming's hard and it sucks and they'd rather be out clubbing, I mean, you're going to have a different mentality and a different, you know, belief than if you're with a bunch of business, successful multimillionaires or or your, you know, multi-businesses that are investing in a lot of things that are actually thriving and travel with their kids. Like you need to be around that if that's the vision that you want. And I love that you touch on that. And it's good to hear a perspective from somebody who doesn't yet have children, but may be open to that in the future. It's nice to hear that perspective. Thank you. No, and I and I really admire moms like you who also model that for other women, for women who are close to you in your proximity, in your circle, showing that there's a different approach and, and your mindset is so powerful in, in creating, you know, your solutions or your worst problems. So <laughs> yay. I thank you. Thank you for that. Okay. So last big question here, because I know you've got a lot to do and I could chat with you forever. But last big question. I'm sh- sure you see tons of women out there that want to start something that don't. What piece of advice would you give them? Basically your younger self who would wait. What would you tell them? What are the first few steps they should take today? I think you should start where you are with what you have. And instead of trying to overcomplicate things by telling yourself, well, I have to or I should like create a business plan. I got to file all these things. I got to come up with my branding and, you know, like all of these things that we stockpile on our to-do list. What if instead you just took a step back and said, what am I already good at? What do people already naturally come to me for help with? And how can I get one person to pay me for this value that I create? Just one person. And it's not this whole business plan and it's not every duck in a row. It is how do I just get that proof of concept, get that experience under my belt and to talk and act like you already are a business owner, right? To say, I have this to offer who would like my help with this, right? And I think the simplification and this willingness to start before you're ready, before you see the full picture, before you see the mountaintop, and to fall in love with the iteration process, that is how the most successful entrepreneurs I know have always built their businesses. They are very focused on the action, not on the planning. The planning can be helpful for sure, but I think there's also a point where you over plan to the point of paralysis, of trapping yourself in this mental gymnastics of, you know, all the ifs, ands, woulds, buts, shoulds. It's it's just too much. And you just really need to simplify. Start before you're ready. Start when you feel like you're going to look back and cringe at what you've done. That's actually a great sign, right? You need You need the data input. You need the feedback coming in to make wiser decisions. And sitting and being in your own head is never going to give you that. So Accept that your first attempt at anything will be bad. There's an amazing saying or amazing quote, and I'm totally going to butcher it now that I'm saying it, but it's like someone says something like, 
you who who said you earned the right to be good at something the first time you do it? Like, oh my god, right? tell my children that. Yeah, it's like what what is this weird narrative we've spun in our head where we think we should just be stars from the moment that we step into the arena? It's like, look, chances are you're gonna suck at what you do the first time you do it, and it's not gonna be perfect. And you will probably look back and laugh a little bit at yourself, but it's that first step that allows you, like you said, to assess what's actually going on and then take that input and that feedback and do it a little bit different, a little bit different, a little bit different, just a series of like half a degree tweaks to find, you know, what you're actually supposed to do. And and you cannot do that by just sitting and thinking about it. It has to be like in action. Yes, that's such good advice. And along with what you just said, do you know who Mr. Beast is? I do. Yep. Okay. So Mr. Beast said something like that, like, hey, people always ask me about how to do this, how to do that with YouTube and like, blah, blah, blah. Get your first hundred videos. Like anything in your first hundred, like don't even come to me yet until you have your first hundred because the first hundred don't even matter, but they matter so much because that's like your starting point. Yep. So if you can't even get to the first hundred, like don't even try. So I was like, oh my gosh, that's yes. the same thing. That is where everyone will cringe at you. Everyone, you will cringe at yourself. Like it's cringeworthy. But like you said, like, oh well. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think the thing that's different about it now is that it's so public. Like yeah. everything's so public. And I think that's hard. Whereas, okay, to learn how to curl my hair in the style that I want, I can do it privately and mess yeah. up over and over and over and over and over again. And nobody has to see it. Well, now with things like social media and online, things are so public that it's the the open public failure that I think people like hesitate. But yeah, get that first hundred reps in before you ever make any judgments. Get that first, you know, hundred runs in before you start stressing about your time. Yes. Like, you know, it's it's very true. And that is such Practice. good advice. So, yeah. It's a discipline of actually committing to the thing and doing it before you give yourself the chance for judgment. Exactly what you said, Tori. I love the way that you phrased that. That was so good. Thanks. Well, I appreciate all your feedback and everything that you're doing. And I will definitely be seeing you again and collaborating with you. I think it's just so fun, especially since you're so close. I mean, there's no reason not to. But why don't you tell everyone where they can find you and what they can best engage, you know, their best avenue to engage with you. Yeah. Well, if you're looking for transparent financial insights from women just like you creating and running six, seven, and eight-figure businesses, the best place to get that content for free is on our podcast, Cubicle the CEO, every Monday and Wednesday, wherever you're listening to this show. You can go find our show and subscribe. You can also go to cubicle2ceo.com. That's C-U-B-I-C-L-E-T-O-C-E-O. Oh, actually, it's .co, not .com, my bad, (laughs) and sign up for our free newsletter. So we'll send one new revenue growth strategy and case study into your inbox every Wednesday. And then if you like to hang out on social, if you want to shoot me a DM, I'm over on Instagram at Miss Ellen Yin. You can also find our brand at Cubicle the CEO on Instagram. Thank you so much, Tori. Oh, thanks so much, Ellen. I just love watching Ellen and how she works. She's so young and ambitious, and she goes after one thing, and even if she's good at it, she's not afraid to pivot. 
and not just pivot, but completely commit to the pivot. So she's taking one foot out of what she already knows and completely diving into a new venture with her team aboard and just leading the charge without fully seeing what's at the top of the mountain. I also love that she talks about how legacy companies don't look at what the year-to-year numbers are necessarily as far as, you know, seeing high revenue jumps. We don't need to see, you know, 10, 20, 100% increases in revenue to be considered successful over the long term. We don't need that huge boost. Sometimes that looks like a 3% increase or a 10% or even just steady. And I love that she addresses this because I think it's very hard in our day and age to always want that instant gratification. But at the end of the day, it's one big, huge mountain that we are climbing. And it's about the bigger picture at the end of the day. So thankful that we had her on the show. Make sure you go and follow her for all the good stuff. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of the Homefront Podcast, where happiness is our true profit. If you enjoyed today's chat, please take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. This helps us to learn, grow, and reach more listeners. Join me again next week as we drop new stories, experiences, and game-changing tips for your homefront and biz. As always, here empowering you in business and in life. Until next time.